Hey, God Watch people. It's Phil Goth here again with the God Watch podcast. I just want to say thank you for coming back and listening to another show. And again, we would love to meet you and visit with you. So please look us up on Facebook at the God Watch podcast or visit our website. Send us a message that way at GodWatchLive.com. This week, I feel so fortunate to bring to you a show from a gentleman that I've known for a little while, but had no clue what his family was going through. And uh, we really got kind of deep in some of those things in this conversation. And just, it really centers around his family and him and how God has worked in, in that whole environment. So with that, ladies and gentlemen, Mike Stubbs. Mike, thanks for coming and sitting down with us at the Guy Watch Podcast. I appreciate you coming and being with us and being willing to be open and share the story of kind of how God has worked with you and your life and your family. Um, can you first kind of give the listeners just a little bit about your life and where you came from so that we know where you're going? Yeah, absolutely. Um, thanks for having me on, too. Grew up in a small town, Pleasantville, Iowa. I'm sure some of you have heard of it. Went off to college and didn't have a clue what I wanted to do. It was, I was just one of those, I knew I had to go get a four-year degree, so I picked a school and went. And After one year at uh, the University of Northern Iowa, I, it just wasn't the right fit for me, so I transferred to Iowa State. And Some great things happened there, some not so good things happened there, but uh, I think I, I grew up a lot there and met my wife there, so. Um, that's so, one of the great things. So now, when you're in college, what's college life like? See, I feel it's sometimes left out because I didn't go to a four-year school. Mm -hmm. You know, I got out of high school, joined the military, came back, went to technical school. I didn't get to experience like being 20 at college, living in the dorms, doing those kinds of things. What was that like for you? You know, I look back and there's. Again, there's great things, and there are times I'm just like, man, that was stupid. I think we were all, we were all 18, <laughs> 19 once. You know, I think we were all kind yeah. of stupid once. Um, yeah. So like I said, my, my freshman year, everything was great. You know, it just, it, I could feel it just didn't feel like a good fit for me. What were you studying? At the time, I had no idea. I was just kind of taking my gen eds and was hoping by my sophomore, junior year, I'd figure out what I wanted to do with life and junior year rolls around, I still really didn't know, but... <laughs> you know, it's crazy to think that you get out of high school, you've been under your parents' direction for 18, 19 years, you go to school, and they're like, what are you going to do with your whole life that's ahead of you? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's crazy to think about that, and I think that's, you know, I look back at, like, my grandpa and, you know, even some of our parents' age type stuff, and, you know, they stayed at a job since they were... And my grandpa worked as a mechanic in a handful of different places mm -hmm. his whole life from the time he was like 14 years old. Yeah. You know, I do not have that same desire. <laughs> I don't know? either. And I think that uh. that's something that's lacking. I don't know what it is, whether it's cultural or what, but just that idea that, you know, I think, I think now in the society that we live in, people want to experience more, more things. Right. So. Yeah, and I think, you know, when... When I graduated, the, the big push was everybody had to go to college. Yeah. And you had to know what you were doing. And, you, you know, you were supposed to have your life all planned out. And that just wasn't, that wasn't me. And, you know, I, I really, uh, you know, I, 
a figure that I, I'm kind of drawn to on TV a lot is Mike Rowe. And, you know, he's got this whole, it's not a push against college, but it's just this college isn't for everybody. Yeah, you know, and that's, I, I listen to a lot of the stuff Mike Rowe does. And, yeah, he partners with these people, you know, really blue-collar jobs. And I think most of the listeners know I do construction, and so by trade I'm a plumber. And with the plumbers that are leaving the workforce, at least here in Iowa, last I seen, they're projecting like 2,000 plumbers short for the state to, to complete all the major projects and things that's coming up. Because guys just are not getting into these industries anymore. And personally, I think it's kind of crazy because you can go, now you have to go, to, when I became a plumber, you didn't need any education. Uh, you just went and apprenticed and then right. took a test, got your license. Well, now you actually have to have some college behind you. You could So you go get a two-year degree in plumbing, and it is amazing the amount of money that you can make in the trades. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? You can, you can supply a good life for your family. Yeah. But people and you know, that was never explained in high school. Yeah. You, because in my head, I've, I've always loved the construction world. You know, that was always my, my summer jobs was framing homes and... Uh, I can remember one year getting to work with my old shop teacher back at, at uh, Pleasantville, and we built a house from beginning to end, and we did everything, the framing, the roofing, everything, and so it was such a neat experience to get to see the whole entire process, and I loved every minute of doing it, but I knew being on the wrong end of the hammer wasn't going to make me any money. You know, that was kind of the mindset that everybody had. Yeah throughout high school it's well you yeah that's great for a summer job but what are you going to do yeah. you know and so I, I went to school still loving construction and that kind of stuff and then I just never really found you know how that was going to fit in and so you know I I got out with a housing um, degree from Iowa State and I thought maybe real estate and I graduated in 07 and that's about when the market fell <laughs> so I I got out of the whole housing construction everything and I've just never never look back I guess yeah you know and that's you know you talk about it like that but that's how it was for me too I mean it, it got to the point where I was like well, what am I gonna do mm -hmm. well, I guess I could be a plumber anybody can be a plumber <laughs> right. you know what I mean so I didn't have these big aspirations or ideas about it when I actually ever got into it so yeah it's just funny how it's just kind of worked out for me but it was the same mentality uh -huh. you know and I probably wasn't prepared for a four-year school you know? yeah I, and, I can honestly say there was, I was not yeah, and so, you know, this is, that's what I did. Yeah. Part of my freshman year, you know, I, I did all right in high school, but high school was easy. Like, I didn't have to study. Homework took me 10 minutes to get done every night. I mean, I go off to college in that first semester. I remember I was taking five classes, and after uh, the first half of the semester, I call home, and I'm ready to drop out. I'm, like, talking to my mom. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing here. I've got two Ds, two Fs, and a C. Like, where do you go? Yeah, I'm like, I've never failed a class before, and I, like, like they're going to kick me out of school with these grades. Yeah. You know, and so. it's funny, because my wife works in college education, mm -hmm. and, you know, she'll talk about how, well, these people don't know how to study. These people don't know how to, to do this stuff. And I'm like, well, I never knew how to do any of that either. You yeah, know? I, so. I never learned. Yeah, and so I, I guess I never knew there was a way to study. I thought you just read it and looked at it. And <laughs> I found out that first semester, so... Yeah. You know, I, I found out that I did, not, I did not study, I memorized. So there's, yes. there's a difference. Yes, so. I didn't actually learn it. I learned it long enough to, to try to pass a test. Yeah, exactly. So. So. But yeah, so you're, you went to UNI yep. for a year. Next thing you're at Iowa State and getting your, getting your home, what was it? 
It was, uh, it was actually called Housing in the Near Environment. Okay. And so a lot of it had to deal with uh, universal design, making sure homes uh, you know, were wheelchair accessible and all that kind of stuff without yeah. looking like a, a wheelchair accessible home. Yeah, I get that. So, it, I mean, it was nice. I got out, I did an internship with uh, Iowa Realty. Like I said, I really like that, but you know, even when I was taking the, the Iowa Realty classes, watching the other realtors there, they were either, you know, there were two or three that seemed to be making a lot of money and everybody else that was just looking for scraps. And dog I, like, I don't want to, exactly, I don't want to do, do that either. So I took a different job and, so, yeah. So when you were growing up in this, when you're young, moving off into the college age, what was your faith like when you were that, in that time? Growing up in high school, we, we went to a church that had a, a very, very strong youth program and just absolutely loved it. I, I still think about my old youth pastor a lot. I, I think Dave Brooks out in Waukee, just a really neat guy. And you could see that whole church when he came on staff just really changed. And the, you know, everybody's love for God just got bigger because they could see the passion he had too. You know, so throughout high school, things were awesome. Um, leading Bible studies, getting in the Word every day, just all kinds of neat things that, you know, Christians should be doing. Yeah. Go off to, to UNI, and they had a, a couple really good programs there as well. Um, Salt Company, Basic, uh, they were both really good that I got involved in. After my freshman year, though, transferred to Iowa State, and this is where things kind of start going south for me for a little while. I didn't, didn't get plugged into a church there. Um, you know, I knew they had Salt Company there as well. They had, uh, I think it was Crew, but all those were off campus. And as a, a sophomore, when your car is a 45-minute walk away or whatever it is, it's hard to it's hard to leave. Exactly, I, yeah. it wasn't a priority for me to get to it. And so I, you know, throughout the my sophomore and junior year, I really kind of started straying. Yeah, that's a kind of a time in my life that I'm like, yeah, you know, I learned some things, but I probably didn't learn but, the best of things. But that foundation was set, right? Yeah. I mean, you, at a young age, you understood your faith and you understood those things. And yeah. so, you know, I know that now you and your wife are very faithful people. So take us back. You meet your wife. Uh, what was that like? So it was, it was crazy. So I... I married a, a genius, is the best way I can describe her. Um, she graduated from high school when she was 16, went to Iowa State because at 16 her parents thought Stanford University was too far away. That was the other school she was accepted to at 16. Went to Iowa State. We did not meet until, since she started at 16 again, she was already done with school and I still had my senior year left and we met that summer. So it was kind of a, we liked each other, but I knew she was leaving to go to Chicago to get her master's degree. And so it was one of those, I don't, you know, we're not going to pursue something that is going to be a six-hour distance relationship. And so, you know, we stayed friends, stayed in contact a little bit. But it wasn't until about the second or third time I went to Chicago to, to hang out with her there that we could kind of tell something. This wasn't just a friendship, that we really liked each other. And, had very similar backgrounds, you know, both grew up in Christian homes. 
Yeah, and I think that that's neat because very few people, my wife is extremely intelligent as well. And it's funny because my wife actually got accepted to MIT. <laughs> nice. And I'm just like, that wouldn't even have been a place that I would have contemplated considering. I don't right? think I would have even been smart enough to fill out the application. No, like <laughs> I was community college at best, right? Yeah. yeah. So I was pretty pumped that you and I even took me my freshman year. So so now she moved away for a little bit. Then she went to she went to Chicago and and you stayed here. Yep. So she went to Chicago and uh, was working on getting her master's degree in um, clinical psychology uh, to be a, become a therapist. So she was there for a whole year uh, while I was finishing up at Iowa State. Um, after one year, I I was done. Um, she decided uh, she was going to Adler. Uh, in downtown Chicago, and that was just way too expensive. It was, I guess, from what I was told, it's kind of the Stanford of psychology as well. Okay. And so she transferred out of there um, and started doing a weekend commute up to Argosy in Minnesota, and she finished up her master's there in just a couple of years. So okay. um, when she was doing the Argosy thing in Minnesota, she was actually living in Mason City, working full-time, and then just commuting on the weekends. We got to have a little bit more of a relationship with their living, you know, only two hours away as opposed to six hours. So, so after that all gets done, everything's copacetic, and you guys get married and have big dreams, right? Basically, so. yeah, yeah. So she finishes up her master's degree and uh, moves back to Ankeny. Took a different job uh, here in Ankeny. I had been living in Ankeny because I thought, you know, that's a, at least a forty-five minute closer drive to Mason City at the time. So we kind of just settled on Ankeny. We got married, and it's been uh, a joy ever since. <laughs> so now you say that, but, you know, <laughs> I know that every, you know, I look back and, and my ideas of when I got married from what I thought was going to be what I wanted into what reality was once it set in, mm -hmm. became very different, you know? And one of the things that, that we always laugh about is, you know, we have two kids now, mm -hmm. and when they did this little interview at our wedding where they take the camera and we showed the guests and stuff, and you know, I was like, I want a bunch of kids, give me 10, you know, whatever it was, you know? And I thought that was what my life was gonna be. And then I had two and I was like, whoa, all right, I'm, <laughs> I'm good. good. I'm good. You know, and you know, just, just little things like that, you know? I mean, just the, the ideas that you have don't always play out the way that you think they're gonna, right? Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think a lot of that kind of comes back to what are God's plans and desires for our life and our marriage. He generally makes those very obvious once the situation is there, right? Yeah. And so, I mean, did you guys have struggles, you know, that, that you thought were going to be different? Uh, definitely. Um, you know, I'd always had it pictured in my head, too, that we were going to get married. We'd have, you know, my life, even before I met her, was to get married and have three kids. And, uh, you know, we, while dating Valerie, uh, we knew that she had some health issues that um, was going to make it to where we couldn't have our own kids. So you knew this going in ahead of time. Yeah, we knew it way before. So it, it was one of those we've never even tried to have our own. Yeah, we, so you know, after a couple years of, of marriage, we were like, okay, well, let's let's start looking into the the adoption process. And man, that is a long, hard road to do that. Um, we started 
gosh, I want to say it was probably back in 2009, 2010, I don't know, somewhere in that range. And uh, for some reason, we just felt God telling us Bulgaria. Don't know why Bulgaria. You know, we'd never been there, had no idea anything about it. Uh, but we just thought, you know, let's look into the, the process there. And so we started that process and, you know, turned in all the, the forms, paid all the fees to, to do all this stuff. And I think to this day, we're still on a waiting list. We've never really heard an update or anything, but... Really? Yeah. So we, we have no idea what's going on with Bulgaria. We know about the same time as when Russia uh, cut all their adoptions off to the U.S. or to international, whatever their ruling was, but um, that was a setback that we knew a lot of those people in that process were going to more than likely jump in front of us in ours. So we, you know, we kind of let that one fizzle out. We just thought, you know, maybe that that wasn't God. Maybe yeah. that was just something we had. You know, and that's a, I think that that story is all too common. Count numerous people that I know who have either started the adoption process and, and even people who have gone to visit orphanages and, and different place to, to meet the kids and to see if it's a fit for them. Mm-hmm. And then next thing you know, it's just like it did never happen. And, yeah. you know, I, we even had some people that we knew who had, they knew which kids were coming to them, they knew where they were coming from, and it was somewhere, somewhere in Africa. And I mean, they had like four visits there. I mean, it was just this whole process. And they were like, yeah, and you can't have the kids yet. And, and I mean, it was years that these people waited for these yeah. kids, you know, and they just, they had it on their heart that the, those were the kids that they wanted to build a family with. And so they, they put in the time and the effort, you know, and, but, you know, there's so many it's kids, out, there's so many kids out there who are in need and so many people who would be willing to love them. It's a shame that it's such a ordeal. That, yeah, it's such a process to pair those two up. Yeah. Yeah. So when we, we kind of went away from the international uh, route, we actually found out um, there was a mom in Florida. She'd already basically adopted out. It was like five or six of her kids. Wow. Um, you know, she kept, kept getting pregnant and then would adopt them out. Just wasn't wanting to take on any more kids. I think she already had four of her own or something like that. Yes, you know, let's do it. Well, so we got in touch with an attorney. You know, obviously you don't, give money to buy the kid. That's human trafficking. Yeah. They frown on that. But uh, there are gifts that you give. You help with medical bills. You help with all kinds of stuff. And so for a couple months, you know, we were getting all excited. Knew the due date was getting closer. We even, our families threw us a, a huge baby shower because they knew how long we'd been waiting for this and we were all excited. How, how long has this process been up to this point? By this point, it's been about two and a half to three years. Okay. Um, you know, waiting on a placement or anything and this one it just felt like it was going to be a, a for sure you know it's a done deal even the attorney was like oh yeah she's used me you know four or five times before every time she just basically does this and it's over and so we were we were excited like I said we had a, a baby shower and everything and it starts getting closer to the due date and Valerie and I are talking we're like man I you know we haven't heard anything we can't get in, in touch with our attorney finally the due date comes and Still nothing. He calls us and says, guys, I don't know. I don't know where she's at. She's gone. We're like, what do you mean gone? Like, has she had the baby? Did she change her mind? He goes, I don't know. She's gone. That's weird. Yeah. So we were basically, we, we didn't actually make the trip down to Florida because we didn't know, you know what days we were going to need to be down there or anything. But 
ten to twelve thousand dollars that we had invested in this already was gone with her. Yeah, and we were just out. So now we're devastated because at the time, you know, we had no money. I was working uh, two jobs. I know Valerie had three jobs at the time. We'd cashed in our four hundred one ks. I mean, we were doing everything we could just to make ends meet, and now to have this huge chunk of money gone. You know, and I think that that says a lot about you guys, that you were willing to take on extra work, to sacrifice some of your retirement, you know, or these other investments that you've made for later in life, so that you could pursue that family unit that mm -hmm. you desired, right? Yeah. And so I, I can only imagine that that would be devastating because yeah. the sacrifices and all of those things I couldn't imagine experiencing that yeah and you know so we had that going on uh, like I said we I was working two jobs and one of my jobs was I literally would work from four o'clock at night 4 p.m. until about 8 30 9 o'clock in the morning and this was I'd go in Sunday night and then Friday morning I'd be done, but then I'd sleep during the day. Valerie and I literally would not see each other from Sunday night until Friday when she'd get home. And that's got to be stressful on the relationship too. It was you know. very stressful. We basically both looked at those couple years there that we were doing that as we were roommates. Yeah. And not even really roommates because we were hardly ever in the house at the same time. I had roommates like that and that was the best roommate <laughs> to have. I'm it you. is, but not when it's your wife. <laughs> Except for when you come home and you get mad because they ate all your food and exactly. you can't even yell at them. Yeah. But, um, but so, yeah, you guys were, I mean, since both of you come from a faith background, are you guys attending church, have a relationship with God going on at the same time too? We did, and I, I felt that me personally, I grew a lot. Um, I would come home, you know, in the mornings, and I obviously had a whole bunch of time to myself, and so I was really trying to dig into the Word a lot and really get, you know, try to figure out from God, why? You know, why am I in this? Like, I'm working so hard, I'm trying to do this, I'm, you know, and I'm just, the jobs I had were not anywhere close to making ends meet. I hated putting that much stress on my wife to where she couldn't focus on one job that she was working, not two, but three just so we could make sure that we were paying our mortgage. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it was, it was a struggle where I really felt like I grew a lot, but I also was questioning a lot too. And just, I couldn't figure out why is life so hard when I'm trying so hard? You know, and I think that, I think it's neat to talk about that because, you know, me and my wife early in our relationship um, struggled to have children as well mm -hmm. and you know going into it we didn't know that and I think that there's probably a big misconception or maybe not but at least the, that I've seen is that people see that don't see the anguish that the man sometimes goes through mm -hmm. right because it does affect the woman in different ways you know what I mean when you, especially when you start talking about uh, you know, miscarriages are really common, mm -hmm. you know, and different, different things like that or fertility treatments and things. But, you know, and those affect the, it affects the woman. But on the flip side, the man gets affected as well. And I think mm -hmm. sometimes we get forgotten. I know that when, when we were struggling, I always, I sometimes got really angry with God because I almost seen it as a punishment because I wanted nothing more than to have children, right? Mm -hmm. And I can't. 
And children are a blessing from God. Some days it may not feel like that, but, but you know, the Bible tells us that children are a blessing. Why, why is God not blessing me? You know, and then, you know, for me, I, I went back through the laundry list of sin in my life in the past. And what can I do to, to make that right with God? And I know that the grace is there, but at times I didn't feel it. Yeah. And, you know, I remember I finally just went and talked to the pastor. You know, I sat down and I was like, I don't know what to do. And, you know, he talked me down off the ledge a little bit. But, you know, it still didn't feel right. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, at least for, you know, we were able to, to eventually have our have biological children. Mm -hmm. But the whole time leading up to it, it almost wasn't real. You know what I mean? Like, you yeah. just... And I imagine even more so because you didn't see your wife get in a belly, right? You didn't see the things moving and changing, mm -hmm. you know. I'm like, it's, it's real when it gets here. You know what I mean? And for yeah. you guys, it's even one step removed from that. It's neat to hear that you were really focusing and growing in, in the Word because I kind of went the opposite direction. Well, and like I said, it was, it was a weird time for me because as I was trying to grow, I think I was trying to get myself out of a, a depression. I mean, it, there were a couple years there that I, I hated going to work. Life wasn't fun. Um, I can remember we've got a, a small group that we, we still hang out with a lot. And every year we go up to Detroit Lakes, Minnesota and just spend about four days just doing nothing but boating with this, this old small group. And I can remember the whole ride home, Valerie and I didn't hardly talk and this was a, about the lowest point in my life, we're driving down the interstate and I'm just trying to hold it together. I just wanted to start bawling. I, did, I knew as soon as we got back into town, I was gonna drop her off and then I had to go right back into this job that I hated and work all night. I didn't know what to do. I was like, I'm not making any money. I'm, you know, just the stress that, it just, everything was all piling on. And I can just remember that drive and I just, I did not want to go to work. I just wanted to, to quit. So moving on from, from that point, though, mm -hmm. what was your next step then when it came to, to children? So the placement or the, the adoption out of Florida didn't yep. work out. Yep, so, so that one fell through. Did you guys uh, kind of give up for a while, or did you just keep trudging through? We did. I mean, we just kind of wanted to take a little break. We had enough other things. We knew, you know, that, that drained our account. Yeah, yeah. So we had, there was no way we were going to try adopting again right away. And we just happened to run in, or well, it was somebody that Valerie worked with, just put a bug in her ear about, you know, have you guys ever thought about fostering? And I knew, you know, I had an aunt and uncle that had fostered and I, I kind of knew the process, but didn't know what all that entailed. But, you know, we got to talking about it and we're like, you know, it, it's worth a try. It's, you know, doesn't cost us anything. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Been, been down that road, yeah, right? Yeah. So uh, we did. We went and we got. We took all the classes, which were a blast. Uh, met some some neat people in it. <laughs> we got out. I had actually gotten a new job by this time, and so I was doing something different. Um, life was starting to get a little bit happier, um, and we get a call from DHS, and they're you know they let you set these parameters on the kind of placement that you would be willing to take. You know, they ask you age groups, all this stuff. And Valerie and I both said, you know, we'd be willing to take two kids under the age of five. Okay. We, you know, we didn't care race, 
gender, any of that, we didn't care, but two kids under the age of five, we just weren't ready for anything else. And get a call from DHS one night, and they're like, well, so I know it's a little out of your guys' parameters, but we have a group of five sisters, 11, 10, 7, 4, and 2. Wow. Would you guys be willing to take them? <laughs> like all seven of them? They're, well, you know, we can split them up if you, if you can and put them in different homes. And, of course, it's, you know, you never want to split up a family. Yeah. So we're like, all right, let's do it. Bring them over. <laughs> wow. So within uh, a couple hours, they, they brought over um, five little girls. And we were able to find a couple sets of bunk beds. And uh, one of the couples that we met in the foster group knew somebody that sells mattresses or something, and they donated a bed to us. And, I mean, we, we made it work in our, our house. We, we somehow became a family of seven overnight. You know, I, I, that's, and that has to be an amazing adjustment. I think that, you know, anybody, you know, I, I always laugh because, you know, having one and learning what to do when you have one is difficult. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, we would laugh about, well, what if it's twins? Or we're like, oh, Lord, what are we going to do? Yeah. But you went from, like, zero to 60, man. We so dove like in head first. Zero to five. <laughs> and so how did that... Did that work out well? Like, it's, uh, you know, we, we to this day uh, have stayed in contact with most of the girls. They're, they're awesome. They, um, they went back to their, their mom, and uh, it's actually a, a very, very sad story. Um, went back with mom. Mom moved him back to Indiana, and gosh, what was it? Within about five or six months, we get a call one night. Uh, I can remember it was a Friday night. We we're just sitting downstairs in our basement watching TV and uh, get a call that says, um, Sophia, she's not going to make it through the night. And Sophia was the little two-year-old that we took on and wow. lived with us for eight, eight months or whatever. We're like, what? what? What do you mean? Well, mom had been basically high again. And while she was high, little Sophia was trying to climb up a dresser to turn the TV channel or something and pulled the whole dresser and TV and everything down on her, and it crushed her head. That's So they called horrible. us, and they kept her on life support long enough for Valerie and I to drive, what was it, eight hours or something like that down to, to Indiana so we could say goodbye before they pulled the plug. Yeah, and that's... I mean, so they were only in your life for eight months. Eight or nine months, yeah, something you know, like so that. that not, even a, not even a full year, but yeah. yet you guys made that impact in their life that they desired to maintain that relationship. And obviously, mm -hmm. they impacted you guys as well if you're willing to take an eight-hour trip to say goodbye. Yeah. You know? and, and so I think that that's, that's really neat. And so that whole process happens, and then... Do you guys just get more placements right after that? I mean, is it just like a revolving door of Yeah, it is. I mean, especially, um, you know, here in Iowa, there's such a shortage of foster parents that they could load you up anytime. And so we, we took a little bit of a break when they left uh, just to kind of readjust life again. Um, I know we had at least one other placement in there that it was a, a very short term, I think, that the little girl lived with us for only like two weeks. Um, so we took that one on. Um, and then after that one, we kind of took a little break for 
I want to say another six months or so. About the six month mark though, we, we get a call and this is crazy too. So, you know, my wife has been sick a couple times and the second time she actually had um, cancer again and it was in the back of her throat. So she had to go and have a, I'm gonna say a partial glycectomy, which basically they cut off like half of her tongue. Really? Yeah, and so we're over in Iowa City. She just had this major surgery. She can't talk, and I get a phone call while we're sitting there in the hospital room together. Like, she's sedated, <laughs> and they're like, hey, we have a little boy that, um, you know, is needing a new home. He's been to four different foster homes already. Um, he's got some anger issues. Would you guys be willing to take this one on? And I'm like, uh, like, a wife recovering, an angry kid, <laughs> yeah. and so yeah. we have all that going on. We bring my wife all the way back and decide that at least for now, she needs to stay at her parents' house because I had to go to work, and that way somebody was around to make sure that she's not, you know, bleeding out or whatever from the surgery. So she's over there. I go home to find my dog that I've had from uh, since college. So Maggie was about eight years old at the time, having seizures. So I got a wife that just got out of the hospital. I got a dog that I just had to put down because of seizures. And I got DHS calling us asking us if we'll take a two-year-old boy and with then, anger issues. And are you still working <laughs> a job that you dislike? No, at this time I had a job that, uh, it wasn't a great one, but it was, it was manageable. Yeah. I, you know, okay. Life was a little better for me at the time. When you bring in, I mean, whether it's short-term or long-term, do you know going into it how long they're Some gonna be there? Some of them. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, is your main goal just to kind of love on those kids? Like, Basically, just show yeah. them that, I mean, obviously, if they're being removed from a household, they've probably experienced a lot of negativity, right? Yeah. And so, like, is it just, when you guys approach that, do you just say, you know, I want to show them this grace-filled life that, that God has showed us? That's something our goal. Different than different than what they're experiencing? Yeah, that was definitely our goal going into it. You know, I know going through some of the, the different classes and stuff. It's there are some real gray areas on pushing religion onto kids, or you know, we couldn't even cut their hair without their parents' permission. Really? Yeah, we couldn't even take them to get a haircut without uh, mom and dad signing off on it. So, yeah, I mean, our our goal was basically to give them a, a safe home and try to make life as normal as possible while they were going through this transition. Yeah. When DHS calls you at first, they, they do kind of let you know, you know, this one is looking more like it's going to be a re reunification, uh, meaning they are going to go back to mom and dad. But this one was going to be a little different, the, the two-year-old we were bringing on. They said that he's been through four different families already, four different foster families, and they had all kind of given him up because, like I said, they couldn't control him. They did let us know that Dad just kept going back to jail over and over again, and Mom had already signed over her parental rights. So more than likely, this was going to turn into an adoption case. So the timing was absolutely horrible. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I wasn't sure what we were going to do or how to do this, but uh, yeah, we, we brought in a, a little two-year-old named Jackson. And uh, it was actually, we got him two days before his second birthday. So we threw him a birthday party on the first time we met that's, him. That's crazy to think of a, a, a kid before two 
who has serious anger issues enough that mm-hmm. he had to be moved around so much. Yeah. So what, when he when he finally gets into your home, what is that like? I mean, is it obviously there's an angry two year old, or is it just he's <laughs> so he's stubborn? We uh, we found out very quick. He is the happiest little boy until something flips a switch, and then look out. <laughs> and so we've you know over the last couple of years we've realized what triggers him and we've worked on a lot of that so I mean he's doing a lot better now but yeah at the time um, I know the the lady that had him right before us it was an older lady and for an older lady to be taking care of a two-year-old that literally I mean if he's throwing himself around he's a tank anyway she just couldn't you know it was gonna hurt her trying to take care of him and so that one made sense The the ones before that I don't know you know what kind of family you know, it was. It yeah. could have been the same thing. That it was just an older lady that just couldn't, couldn't handle it. But yeah, we <laughs> we laugh because uh, about the first time that Valor was feeling up to being able to go out, you know, after her surgery and everything, we just decided, hey, what the heck? Let's the three of us go out to Buffalo Wild Wings. And <laughs> we go in there and we're trying to, you know, we're new to this whole taking kids out thing because. Oh yeah, you know he wasn't ours. We just had him for a week or two, and uh, we go in and they bring his food out, and he eats everything, and they are just taking forever to get our food. And so we're sitting there, and it's probably a half an hour in now, and they hadn't even brought a drink to us yet. Well, Jackson, he was done with his food, so he started kind of playing with the ketchup a little bit, and we're like, okay, you know, that's fine. We'll let him play with it, make a little mess, but then he just takes it and smacks it. And ketchup goes flying everywhere. And so now we're like, oh, buddy, we can't do that. So we go to take it away from him. Boom, there's a trigger. He did not want somebody to take his food away. Huh. And he just went nuts, screaming and yelling. And he was in a, a, a little booster seat. Yeah, like a little high chair thing. A little high chair. And uh, we could not get him calmed down. So I'm like, I don't, let's take him out to the car, <laughs> you know, and let him just scream in the car. Yeah. I couldn't get him out of his high chair. He stiffened his legs and just screamed his head off. And literally every single person in that restaurant was just staring at us. You know, I think that that's like a, maybe not quite to that extent, but I think every parent has that mortified restaurant story. You know what I mean? And man, they still happen to me every once in a while. (laughs) It's funny to me though, as, as you become a parent, you don't get angry. I remember, you know, when I was young, I, th- I would think, just make your baby stop crying. Yeah, right? My kids would not act that way. Now it's hilarious, <laughs> you know? I mean, there's times, you know, I, like I'll be at an airport or a restaurant and I'll see a parent with multiple kids struggling and a kid throwing a fit. And, you know, if you see me during the day, I'm usually a little dirty from work, you know, and, mm-hmm. and baseball hat on, unshaven, and kind of scrubby looking. And, uh, you know, but... It, I feel, I feel their pain. And so I'll go up and help. And I think that there is something about a parent approaching another parent sometimes. Like, hey, I know you need some help. Yeah. Because I've had people just hand me babies. And, you know, before I had a kid, I, mean, I wanted to help, like, coach a soccer team. And they were like, no, we're okay. You know what I mean? And yeah. now people just throw kids at you. And so <laughs> walk up with a smile and ask them if they need help. But... You know, so my heart goes out to him a little more, and I'm less irritable, you know, like airplanes and things yeah. like that. Like, you know, I think, oh, that poor kid. Not it it does change it. Because, yeah, I was that same way. I, you know, a kid acting up out in public, I mean, 
my kid will not act that way. You know, he will be dis. And now I'm sitting there, and it's. You know, I, I think of the Hunger Games when they just <laughs> give the peace sign to each other. Like, you know, yeah. parents do that. Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah. So now you got Jackson in your home, and there's possibility that he's going to be able to be adopted. Yeah. So we're we're all excited. You know, we got Jackson. Um, things are going great. I want to say we had him for about six months, and um, it, we'd go to all the different court cases and stuff for the kids. And his case, it really, dad was still kind of trying to hang on, you know, kind of didn't want to give up his rights, but still kind of doing a lot of drugs and beating up people and going to jail all the time. So ended up, uh, while all this court case is all still going on, we get another call. Hey guys, we have a, a little girl that is needing a home. And it's looking like this one is probably going to be an adoption case as well. Great, yeah, would love to take her. So in comes Harper. And we got Harper when she was just over one. So now we're sitting here with a, a two-year-old and a one-year-old. They got along great, love each other. She's the cutest little thing in the world, just these big eyes. Her case, I'm trying to remember how everything lines up. So Jackson's case is over and we got to adopt him and make it official. So that was a, a huge deal, I know. It's like, you know, a what, a four or five year process that you guys have yeah, been going through? Yeah, probably about five years of waiting for that first kid. And now you have a child that is yours. Yeah. So the, the thing that's crazy, when they terminate the rights of Jackson, he basically gets one last visit with his bio dad. And so dad can say goodbye. So I go down to the DHS office and uh, we go in and, you know, basically Jackson's sitting in the room with his bio dad and DHS, they pulled me aside for a second. And they said, hey, um, so we found out that Jackson actually has a, a little brother. Well, they told me he's on the way. And so I was like, well, I, you know, we'd heard mom was pregnant again and same mom, same dad. And they're like, would you be willing to take on a baby? And I'm like, yeah, you know, I'd love it. So I'm like, well, do you want to talk to your wife first? And I was like, no, I know what she's going to say. So we finished the visit. We go home. We've already got Jackson. We've got Harper. That night we're playing in the backyard with those two. And I just, I was like, oh, by the way, Valerie, I was like, you're never going to guess. They, DHS asked me if we'd be willing to take a baby. And she's like, oh, what'd you tell him? I was like, I told him, yeah, we, you know, just give us a call. No joke, five seconds after I tell her that, my phone rings and it's DHS. And they're like, yeah, is this Mike? I'm like, yeah. Hey, uh, so we, you know, we talked earlier about a baby. Uh, would you be able to come down to, to Mercy Hospital? I'm like, like, like now? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, he was born a couple days ago. And I'm like, okay. So we kind of threw some stuff together, called our family and said, hey, we're going to the hospital to pick up a baby. We're, and going, we're going three deep. Yeah. <laughs> so now we've got a three-year-old, a two-year-old, and a two-day-year-old. Wow. And we had about two hours to, to actually prepare to, to have this baby. So obviously, parenting must have been going well for you guys, right? It's a, it, was it joyful? I mean, you, you keep going through the process, and it, I mean, you just committed to taking a kid without really even talking to your wife. So, yeah. <laughs> so obviously things must have been 
in general going well? Things were definitely getting better. Uh, yeah, things were awesome. Uh, my wife got a new job. Uh, just life was better. Um, we bought a new house. My job was a lot better at the time. Yeah, everything was just, it was turning for the positive. You know, it just felt like we'd kind of turned this, this new leaf over. And I mean, do you, do you have anything that you kind of attribute that to? Or, I mean, is it just... You know, I, I would like to take credit for any of it, but I would have to say it's all my wife. Yeah. She is the most focused, goal-oriented, driven person I've ever met. Um, if you tell her she can't do something, she's going to prove you wrong twice. It, you know, it's yeah. just, it's, it's amazing. And like I said, she got this new job. Um, it was a God thing. It was a, a job I think she had applied for a while back and never heard anything. And then just out of nowhere, the owner calls. Um, basically, she gets in there and she's working for this um, therapy office. And within about three months of being there, the guy decides that he's going to close the office and move back to the East Coast. And so, I mean, everybody there was like, well, great, are we all out of a job now? And uh, four of them actually ended up getting together and buying the business, and so now she is one of the owners of it. And so everything's just worked out yeah. amazing. And so, like, reflecting back on it, I mean, looking at all those struggles, hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? Mm -hmm. Do you see God's plan in that? Like, do you see God's plan in that hardship and to where you're at now? I do, because, you know, now that, uh, now that we are making more money, uh, we have, you know, a little more income that we can go do some things that in the past, there was no way. You know, vacation, not a chance. Like I said, we were cashing in 401ks just to pay our our mortgage and uh, looking at it now we know what we work for you know we didn't get a handout you know we we paid for everything and we've done most of it by ourselves and I think that that really not not to be prideful but just a sense of accomplishment and yeah. just this you know we did it a task completed exactly yeah. and uh, you know we we didn't kill each other in the process because we hit some lows. I mean, oh, there, sure. were, there were some rough, rough times of, I don't know how we're going to make it through this. Yeah. And then while you're going through this, I mean, obviously you spoke earlier about being pretty tightly knitted into a small group. Mm -hmm. While you're experiencing these ups and these downs, are you guys openly living into the church community? Like, do you have a, a strong base there with you that are that's kind of experiencing it and, and walking with you? Yeah, so the small group we had, it was, it was an amazing group. And uh, like I said, we still get together quite a bit. But um, we had you know, one couple leave. Uh, they started attending a different church. Gosh, uh, I don't know what it was, maybe six months to a year later. We had two different couples tell us uh, almost within a week of each other that one was moving to uh, Boise, Idaho and one was moving to Fargo, North Dakota. Okay. <laughs> and so our, our small group just kind of fell apart right, right then and there. And you know, we, we kind of tried to keep it going, um, but it just wasn't the same, and everybody could feel that. And you know, we'd get together, and we'd, we'd start a Bible study, and then within like three or four weeks, it was kind of that, oh, what are we even doing again? You know, social, you know. Yeah, and so we're all still friends. You know, it's a good group, but it, it's, 
it's not a, a Bible study anymore. Yeah. And I think that happens to a lot of small mm-hmm. groups. I, you know, I've experienced that in a handful of them too. And next thing you know, it's more about eating spaghetti and pizza and, and watching something than it is yep. discussing God and, and, and your yeah. lives. You know, even, you know, I know when we would move into those social aspects, we would become more superficial. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, we wouldn't dive deep into each other's lives anymore. We would just, yep. oh, how's work going? Oh, it's, it's good. Yep. You know, and yeah. so I think that some of that, yeah, you just have to reevaluate a little yeah. bit. Well, I think part of it too, and you know, it's been brought up a couple times before that we, uh, so in the small group, Valerie and I were not the only two that, that struggled with having kids. Uh, we had another group, or another couple that did too, and I think, you know, in the probably five years that we were a small group, we had a baby boom. I mean, there were, it was something like 10 or 12 kids born in like five years in that our group alone. And so the ones that were having all these babies, they almost had this like, we're so happy, but we're really sorry, Mike and Valerie, we're not trying to rub it in your face that we can have kids. And, you know, and so there was kind of that, a little bit of that too going on where, you know, one couple would invite another couple over that has kids so their kids can all play and well, we didn't mean to leave you guys out, but we just didn't want it to seem like we're rubbing it in your face well, again. That I, rem- I remember when, when we struggled, you know, it was kind of the same deal, you know. Mm-hmm. Our friends were having children at the same time that we wanted to have children. Mm-hmm. And they would have children, and you know, I don't know if I've ever told anybody to their face, but there were times where it was really difficult to be around them mm-hmm. just because... I felt jealous, yeah. you know, and, and like I was talking about earlier where sometimes, you know, I really struggled with God and his perceived lack of building my family, right? Yeah. But yet, why does this guy get a kid? Because I know he does this and this and this and, you know, I'm doing good, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I, would, I would do that judgy, mean Christian thing, right? right? But I would do it in my head, yeah. you know, so... So it wouldn't be so obvious, but I was at fault for that. It wasn't good, but mm-hmm. you know, it goes back to the idea, like I had a hard time celebrating their joy because I couldn't get past my pain. Yeah. No, I, I can 100% relate to that. And I, you know, just to take a, another step too, I was not only jealous of the kids, but you know, we talked at the very beginning about how I, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. Yeah, You know, I was still kind of going from job to job trying to find something. And here I was working this job that I hated. And, you know, my small group, it was not your typical small group. We had a small business owner. And these, these are just the men. We had a small business owner. We had a pharmaceutical uh, sales rep. We had a surgeon assistant. We had an engineer. And we had a lawyer. And then there's me that... Just kind of floats around. Just kind of floats, and I, you know, I didn't have a title. I didn't, you know. Yeah. And so it was. It was this, like, feeling of, man, I can't do anything right. You know, these guys are all providing for their wives. They all got the, the nice houses. They've got the kids. They've got everything I want, and I, I can't seem to do any of that. When we were talking about earlier, like, about how sometimes the, the man's perspective isn't always taken in, I know that culture and life changes, but... As 
boys, we're taught we're going to have a family and it's going to be our or our responsibility to take care of that family. And if the mm. family is lacking, that's on us, yeah. you know, which sometimes isn't true. You know what I mean? It's especially you have a, a brilliantly smart wife. I have an educated wife. Chances of our wives outdoing us financially is extremely high. Mm-hmm. But you know what? I'm going to celebrate that because we're a team. You know what I mean? Yep. I don't have, now that I've aged a little bit and become more comfortable in relationship and life and faith and all of those things, we're a team now. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's not me providing everything. You know, it's me leading my household and my wife allowing me to do that. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to be put back by that. I see a lot of times, you know, you talk about all of these people and, and I hope within your small group, you know, these people who are a little more affluent or a little more educated, um, well and good to you. I mean, obviously, if you still oh, yeah. see them, they were. Yeah. But, you know, I've met people, you know, I would say that most of the people that I meet in church functions don't know that I own a business, right? They just think that I'm a random plumber. And, and I get talked down to at times. You know, oh, well, you're a plumber. I'm, I'm a doctor. Right. And I'm like, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't make me feel bad. Like, I don't know if you were trying to kind of take one up on me and, and put yourself in a position. Right. But that's not going to work for me because I don't need to represent myself as anything special because you, as somebody who perceives yourself as status, is not going to affect how I feel about myself, yeah. how I conduct myself, or my self-worth. You know what I mean? But it's taken yeah. me time to get there, man, because five years ago, I would not have told you that same, same thing. Yeah. Because I would have wondered what I could do to position myself differently to... No, and our, our group was, it was always great. I, I, you know, it's not like anybody ever talked down to me or anything like that, but it was just, it was internally where I just, it wasn't even about jealousy. It was, it was the whole time going back to I'm supposed to be the man. I'm supposed to provide. You know, I'm supposed to take care of our family, and we're failing miserably. So it's ultimately, I felt, you know, it just felt like everything was on my shoulders to take care of, and I just couldn't figure out where to go or what to do. Yeah. Did you guys? Do you see? Like, you know, I I describe my my relationship with my wife as a team a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, is that how you guys kind of see it? Absolutely. It, you know, and it's. Fast forward, um, I actually work with my wife now, so I am... Uh, so you guys are a team at work. We're a team, team at work and, and at home. So yeah, I am actually uh, at the therapy office that she owns. They had to, it's a whole other story, but they had to fire their COO because she was actually one of the four that decided to buy in together. And she took it upon herself to run the credit cards up, to pay herself almost double what everybody else agreed to. Um, she kind of just did whatever she wanted with the money. And, you know, they brought me on to kind of help with some marketing and, you know, some part-time stuff. And they told me, they're like, yeah, you know, if you could help her with this. I know she, she struggled with it a little bit. And I opened up the QuickBooks account one time and was just like, whoa, something is not right here. Yeah. And then that night she changed the password so I couldn't get in again. But I was, I, I told my wife that night, I was like, uh, something's wrong, and ended up, she was uh, arrested and charged with a felony. So, since she was gone, the other three owners came to me, and they're like, well, 
we need somebody to step in right away. You know, can you do it? And I'm like, sure. So I'm, I'm now the COO of, uh, of Clearbrook Counseling Professionals. So Nice. So, see? That's, it all knew, works out. Who knew life was going <laughs> to take you there, right? I, I, not in a million years, but I think I'd be managing a, a mental health clinic. Executive so. level yeah. of a health clinic. So that's, that's really neat, though, man. So, but now, so now you have these three beautiful new kids living in your home. Yeah. One has been adopted. Was the infant immediate adoption? Nope. Okay. He, so with DHS, every child is a new case. Okay. Um, so yeah, like you said, we had, we had just adopted Jackson. We have Harper and, and Bryson, but they're still foster. And so with that, they still had their weekly meetings with mom and dad, and they had you know all this stuff. And Harper's case, it was a little different. Mom wanted absolutely nothing to do with, with her. She basically gave birth and didn't want anything to do with it. Dad... Uh, very low-income guy. Um, I think genuinely wanted to be a, a good dad, but knew he knows nothing about it. He has no family. He had no hope. And he loved Harper, but he's like, I can't do this. I can't take on a kid. I think he was only 19 or 20 at the time. Well, you know, and, and part of it, you know, yeah, especially being that young, you think about it and think it's horrible to say, but, you know, but I think it might be true that sometimes the most loving thing you could do is place that child in a place where they could be yep. loved and successful. Yep. Because all too often, I think we see that cycle of poverty, right? Mm -hmm. So you're 18, now you have a kid, you have to focus on that. You can't focus on increasing yourself. And then that child grows and knows nothing mm. different. You know what I mean? And yeah. it, where does that stop? I hope the guy is a wonderful guy, hits 25, has some things going for him, has a beautiful family, right? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's what you hope for. And we never had any issues with him at all. He was, but he's never tried to contact, he, you know, as soon as that, you know, um, parental rights were, were cut, he basically walked away and never, never looked back. So, is that fairly common? Um, I don't know, to right. be honest. Okay. Uh, I, didn't know I think in some of the cases, uh, I know some of them, DHS, they encourage to keep in contact. I, I've got the, the boys' dad's cell phone number. So if we, you know, when the kids get older, if they want to know more, we can call. But when, when the time is right. Yeah. I don't know. Huh. I, <laughs> we're not sure how to to approach all that as we go. Yeah. I guess we'll it's figure a learning it out as we I mean, everything else, right? about <laughs> Everything about parenting is a learning yeah. process, right? You just wing There's, it. There is no book, you just wing <laughs> it. Um, so, so now you have adopted all three children, correct? Well, yeah, so it was actually really neat. Uh, so we're going through all this, we've got Jackson. The other two cases are kind of stringing along a little bit. Finally, in one of the court cases, um, we found out we were going to get to adopt Harper. Uh, and it was going to be in November when they do the National Adoption Day. And thought that was awesome. You know, we told all our family, we're, you know, we're going to do this. We're going to go to the courthouse on National Adoption Day and all this stuff. And uh, it was really neat because we ended up finding out just a couple weeks before that we were, that Bryson's case was going to be over and we were actually going to get to adopt him too. But we didn't tell any of our family. And Channel 8 News here in Iowa actually picked us to follow us around for the day during all the whole 
you know, adoption process. How did you get connected with that? Uh, one of our caseworkers kind of became friends with us, and she was, boy, this is a long connection. Somehow she knew the judge that was doing most of the proceedings, and Channel 8 was doing a story on him because this judge makes these little toy cars for every single kid that gets adopted. Oh, and so they were, you know, they went into his wood shop and did all this, and we ended up having uh, Eric Hansen follow us around for the day. And uh, basically, right before we go into what our whole family thought we were going to just be adopting Harper that day, we had shirts made for the kids. And so Jackson took his shirt off, his coat off, and it said, Once Upon a Time. And then Harper took hers off. It said, uh, I Found My Happily Ever After. And everybody just thought, oh, that was so cute and everything. And with the cameras rolling, we, we uh, were like, well, but wait, there's one more. And we took Bryson's coat off, and his just said, me too. And so that's how we told all our family, everybody that was there, that we were adopting Bryson for the day, too. That's adorable. So, yeah, it was, it was pretty awesome. So then, so you guys kind of were the face in Des Moines of Adoption Day that yeah. year. Yeah, and actually that, that day... Uh, it broke the record for most of kids adopted in one day. Wow. I think not just in Iowa, but in Nationally? the U.S. Yeah. So have you had other people reach out to you? Have you had other, like, have you guys helped other people in the same We've definitely talked it up. Um, you know, people that are going the adoption route, and like I said, we've got another couple in our, our small group that they've been going the, the, I don't know, the normal do- adoption route. And they've already had one failed uh, adoption, but luckily they're like, well, we didn't lose you know, any money. We didn't travel or anything like that yet. So they wanted to give it another try. And fingers crossed, uh, I think here in the next couple months, they're supposed to be going to Texas. So you know, hoping everything still goes smoothly with that one. But uh, yeah, we kind of talked to them about it. There's heartache involved in the foster, but it's completely worth it. But there's, I mean, there's got to be joy as well. Oh, absolutely. So now you have these. How old are they now? So Jackson is four, Harper's okay. three, and Bryson will be two in two months. Okay. So I mean, it's been a couple of years that you've yep. you've had your house full. Yep. What has it been like being the father and leading those kids? And I would I would anticipate that you are having your children grow in faith as well right? Yeah. What, what has that been like to be a dad who is teaching their children about God? Because I, that's something that's really neat for me, and I, I would love to know what you think. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. I mean, I, I don't know. It, it, my mind instantly goes to, to Jackson, our oldest, and when we go to put him uh, to bed every night, and it's instantly, as soon as he lays down, all right, we say our prayer. You know, and I just, I love that, that he's He's learning that, and I don't know. They're still young enough. I, every guy with long hair is Jesus. You know, we walk down the road. Is that Jesus? No, guys, that's not. Don't say that so loud, please. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's been, mine was convinced that everybody with long hair was a woman. <laughs> so, yeah. So it, you know, they're still at those those ages of. It's just funny. Yeah. You know, and I I love it because Jesus wants the children, right? approach you know with a childlike faith you know we hear these things bring the children to me and i think that my kids maybe around four years old probably 
started kind of understanding more of these things. Mm -hmm. But the things they would come up with were awesome because they would get the gist of love and Jesus and the sacrifice that Mm -hmm. he made and the benefit, but then they would throw things in. Like, you know, I remember I was talking to one of my children one night and uh, he was was three and we were talking about Jesus and he was like, yeah, I'm in Jesus's army. And I was like, yeah, what do you do when you're in Jesus? You know, I just want to feel him out. What do you uh-huh. do if you're in Jesus' Where are we going army? with this one? And he goes, we fight evil. And I was like, yeah, what kind of evil, buddy? He goes, we fight the devil. And I was like, yeah, that's right. You know, and you know, I'm kind of leading him along. He goes, and zombies. I'm like, <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, but, you know, just this whole, you know, and for a long time, that's what he would tell people. I'm in Jesus' army. And it always made me smile because I would yeah. think that he was, He's fighting the devil and zombies. Yeah, you know. So, get them all. Just that, just that joy that they find. And now, you know, my oldest, uh, he just turned six, and he's brought up the idea of baptism, and you know, he's starting to understand what those things mm-hmm. are. And it's, it's amazing to me just to see a young child grow, you know. And and that that's something that I hope that they, I think that as parents. We always want to see our kids do better, right? Mm -hmm. I hope my kids get a better job than I do. I hope my kids are happier than I am. I hope my kids succeed more in life than me. But I hope my kids love God more than me. You know what I mean? And and not that I, you know, and not that I don't, but I just hope my kids maintain that fire. Yeah. So, going to back to baptism. No, I'm not trying to get into any. We have listeners in all denominations. Exactly. Exactly. I personally, I was baptized as a kid. I can't tell you what age. I can tell you where, but I, I don't really know anything about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I know my older brother just basically got rebaptized um, about a year ago because he wanted to just, again, you know, when you do it as a kid, do you really know what you're you're doing? Yeah. And that's, I go back and forth on, you know, do I want to let my kids do it at a young age or wait and let them, you know, I don't so, know, what are your thoughts? Um, I was baptized as an infant, so in a Catholic church, um, but have never, I didn't, I've never considered myself baptized, right? Because I think that part of that, this is, these are my personal opinions, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I know that it goes both ways, and I know that there's, there's people who will argue biblically they're smarter than me that say you can do it all sorts of ways. What we chose to do, because me and my wife actually got baptized together when, when we were married um, because, you know, I wanted to really rededicate myself to my faith and make that commitment that this is who I am and this is the lifestyle that I that I, I choose to identify with and have that public display of me making a commitment of faith, right? Yeah. And, and I, for me, that's a big deal, you know, the publicness of it and mm-hmm. the understanding of why I choose to be baptized. And within my family, there's different views on it, right? And so mm-hmm. me and my wife talked about it and, and we, we did not have our children baptized but we had what was they called a dedication Mm -hmm. and from what I understood in that was pretty much 
they still sprinkled a little water on them, but it was more me and my wife making a commitment that we will do all that we can to lead our children to know God. Yeah. Um, you know, and I believe that God is, God is a God who has rules and is just, but also a God that is kind and loving. And, you know, I know when I was baptized as an infant, well, what happens if he dies? That's a real thing. You know, I know people who have lost infants and I know these things and, and that's a super hard place. But deep down in my heart, I believe that God will do what is right and God will do what is just. Mm. And if there is a, an infant who, I've heard that children come out sinners, right? When the child is born, it is, it is a sinner. And I heard a sermon one time, and I, I, I'm sure there was some biblical doctrine behind it, but it talked about how, you know, a child, when they come out, they want, they want food, they want attention, they want, you know, these greed-type things. And so needy. They're so needy. <laughs> but, um, but I believe that the God that I serve is a God of love, right? There, there's punishment and there's sin and there's things that we have to account for. But I, I find it hard to believe that if I had an infant and it passed before it could fully in its brain comprehend, comprehend what a glorious God could do God could not hold that against them. Right. And so infant dedication to keep my child out of hell, I, 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 don't, I don't track with that well. Yeah. I'm not a doctrinal biblical scholar, <laughs> but the character of God, I think, is so much greater than that, mm. right? And so I think that it's important that once my child understands how God operates and what sacrifices Jesus has made for him, that, you know, we are all sinners and that we all fall short and that he wishes to have that relationship, then it's time for baptism because that is his decision and he chooses to follow God. Mm -hmm. I can't make him, yeah. you know, and so that was very long-winded, I guess. What's, uh, your, like, what's your view? <laughs> Ditto. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, I... I like I said, I, I was baptized when I was, I don't know, six, seven, something like that. And it was just one of those, well, I grew up in a Baptist church, and that's what you do. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I've kind of thought about, you know, just like my older brother, just, you know, I think it would be neat to, to rededicate, you know, and maybe do it again as an adult and, you know, fully comprehend what this decision means. I have to tell you, you know, even getting... I don't really consider what I had as an infant baptism, but being, so being baptized as an adult mm -hmm. and making that decision for myself was something that was impactful, right? It impacted me and it had an emotional context with it that I think only that experience could provide. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I would encourage you, you know, if you feel drawn to that, I would encourage you to go do it. I really yeah. would. And, you know, I mean, and it's, you know, God, one of the things the scriptures tell us is that when we, when we read about people being baptized, they immediately went, you know, conversion, immediate baptism. There's no delay, right? right. And 
I think sometimes we put it off. You know what I mean? We put it off too long, and I don't know why. And so I think that you, anybody who's listening, if, if, if you know those things that Jesus has done, and if you're living that lifestyle, go as quick as you can and, and be baptized. You know what I mean? Because yeah. that, that's something that I, I like to think makes God sing, right? He wants to see his children cleaned and pured and know what's, Right. What that represents. Yeah. So do it. I probably will. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, every church does it differently. You know what I mean? And, and yeah, ours doesn't in a pond. It doesn't in a pond. I've seen, <laughs> I've seen them do it in pool, like swimming pools, yep. you know. Yeah, I've in the wintertime, we, we go to a hotel pool and do it. it so. Yeah, the, uh, I've been at places, you know, being in Iowa, I've been places where they got like cow troughs. Yeah, yeah, I was just today, I've seen a horse trough before. Too. Maybe that's a horse trough. <laughs> I've never lived on a farm, all right? But yeah, you know, this big eight foot metal container that they yep. just drop them in. So, yep. yeah. Hot tubs, that would be an all right one. I, I could go for a rebaptism in a hot tub. Yeah, every Friday night. Well, man, I, I got to say, I love talking with you. The story is, is wonderful. And I guess the, the last thing that I would really ask for you to do is if somebody out there is struggling, especially with the idea of children, it's kind of, that's kind of what we focused on for most of most the show. Um, where, what would you tell them? Like, is there some advice, something that you could give them that, that shows them that that area that I think that both of us have been in Mm-hmm. where we just don't see out of it. You know, we don't see that future coming. And could you give them, could you just talk to them for a minute and let them know what your feelings on that would be? Yeah, I, you know, like I said, there for a while, I was in a dark spot. I mean, like I said, driving home from that trip, no kids to come home to, a job I hated, a wife that I only got to see a couple hours a week. You know, I was at a low spot and Luckily, somebody just came up and gave us this other idea. So I, I guess what I'm getting at is there's no right way. You know, you can try something. If that doesn't work, try a different way. There's no right way to build a family. Right. I mean, like we said earlier, there are thousands of kids out there that would love to have a, a loving home. And, you know, whether it's the foster route, whether it's an adoption route, you know, whatever it is, just keep your options open. You know, don't be, just keep an open mind, you know, because you just don't know what, what God's got out there for you. Yeah. So. And I think that's it, you know. I think God's timing and plans are always better than ours, right? Absolutely. So, well, Mike, thanks so much for coming. Yeah, it talking a pleasure. Talking with me is wonderful to sit down. So uh, thanks again. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed listening to Mike and his story. I hope that there are bits and pieces that you can draw from there, especially if it's something that you or your family is going through. I hope that you can find some joy and some understanding in the struggle and the things that he had to share with us. With that, I hope you have a great week and be blessed.